Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lopercaro, and this episode's guest is Sloppy Jane. Sloppy Jane is an artist based in New York City. Her latest record, Madison, is a concept album through and through. Amongst other things, she recorded it 120 feet below ground in a West Virginian cave. The record explores the theme of unrequited love and basks in all of its blue-washed melodrama. We are obviously talking about your new record, Madison, which I have been listening to a lot over the last few days in preparation for this. It is wonderful. I I felt like I was listening to like Kate Bush, The Wall by Pink Floyd, um, David Bowie, who else did I feel like? Father John Misty. I felt like I was listening to a lot of people's like collective concept album at the same time, and I really enjoyed that about it. Thank you for. I feel like people avoid saying the word concept album. Like people see it as like a people see it as like a some kind of like nasty. I I feel like it has horrible connotations, and one of the things that like I really want to do as an artist is like. I don't know. Like, I want to, like, reclaim the concept album from douchebags. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I love, you know, and it's funny because it's funny you bring up Pink Floyd. Um, I'm really personally, like, not a fan of their music, but I am a big fan of their ideas. Mm. And I think about that a lot. Like, and it's true of, like, a lot of, like, prog leaning stuff where somebody, like, explains a prog album to me and I'm like, that sounds awesome and then i listen to it and i'm like there's too many notes Mm. (laughs) please remove half of these notes it's fine you know (laughs) and uh and i think that um i don't know that's i guess that's kind of my whole thought (laughs) well i definitely understand that there's definitely a few records out there that i'm like on paper i totally respect the ideas but in practice i'm like either just not for me and then also the like when it comes to anything that's very experimental there's definitely a lot of throwing things at the wall that don't need to be there um and yeah it's I I totally agree with you I love things that are very intentional both in terms of lyrics in terms of like the sonic side um and you're a really great example of that but one of the things that I was thinking about a lot, so normally just because just of how my personal brain works, when I think of intentionality in music, I usually immediately go to like everything being exactly about a very literal narrative. Whereas listening to your record, it sort of reminded me that being intentional doesn't just have to mean that you're being literal. It can mean you're being intentional about 
how you want certain sounds and certain words to make people feel. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to put it. I think, um, you know, something that a thought that I resonate with a lot is. Um, so there is like, you know, Wagner, the um, opera opera guy, mm-hmm. um, you know, horrible anti-Semite. We hate him um, a little, you know, <laughs> just uh, a bit. You know, I'm like, I'm Jewish and a woman. So I feel like I'm allowed to like rip off Wagner's concepts because he would like not like that, you know? (laughs) So that's like, you know, I'm like, there's nothing that he would hate more than knowing that I'm like sitting there talking, sitting here using these things. So that's like how I justify it. But I think that like something that he talked about a lot, which I do think is really cool is um, he like, he talked about how like in modern opera and this was like modern during his time. Um, he said that the problem was that like people were trying to make um, were like the point of what people were doing was to like make a piece of music rather than the points being to make a, make a drama and use music as the tool to create that drama. Um, and I really agree with that. And I try to like, I don't, I try to not approach what I'm doing as being like, I'm making a song or like I'm making a record and to instead be like, I'm making a feeling and how do I use music to achieve that? Mm. Yeah, well, I got to come to your gig in LA a couple months ago and I definitely felt that. I mean, it was much more of an experience than than just a record and I I mean I really appreciate that because if I'm going to sit down and listen to the entirety of a record I definitely want to feel immersed in it but going into that a little bit more you know how I, I mentioned kind of like things being literal versus things being purely for emotion the way that you write it sort of weaves between you know talking about a direct narrative like of sort of unrequited love and then kind of taking these tangents into these much more like visceral images that maybe don't directly do with the story but conjure up these really strong feelings yeah i think that like well that it's kind of part of i guess like the feeling of the feeling and experience of unrequited love like has so much to do with like i guess the experience of a one-sided conversation that is like very deeply entrenched in fantasy and so it's like both the reality of like, you know, I'm sitting in my room missing this person and maybe here are some of the things that I would say, but then it like, you fall off deeper into like these kind of like, you know, these these like uglier thoughts and these like things that are like, just, I guess, not reality, you know? And a lot of the songs do that. And I try to also highlight it with the instrumentation. I try to like, specifically with this record like most of the songs started start with just vocals and piano um and that's usually like that's usually like the quote-unquote like literal part of the song um and then as the instruments expand that kind of is supposed to go along um that's supposed to like highlight i guess like the deepening of like the fantasy element um And so like, as 
the narrator or whatever like goes deeper into like her own head and fantasy like you hear like the instrumentation grow and expand Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and i i mean you know speaking as you know just just another human being who's definitely been through you know feelings of unrequited love and allowing myself to mourn something that's not going to happen um you know we do kind of allow ourselves to fall into these very deep emotions. I kind of wrote in my notes that this album is kind of, and I say this in a very positive way because I think sometimes this word is used to invalidate things, but I think it's actually very valid. It's sort of melodrama personified. It's very, yeah, it's very like all up in its feelings, you know? Yeah. Well, part of, um, part of like the decision to use the, the cave, it was like, like heightening the stakes over and over again, where it's like how, because it feels, loving someone who doesn't love you back feels ridiculous. Like it's like the most ridiculous feeling. And like, you know, trying to create a setting for myself where I'm like, I now feel justified in my extreme melodrama. You know, where it's like now I'm allowed to be this dramatic because the circumstance is so dramatic instead of being like, why am I being so dramatic about how someone won't text me back, <laughs> you know, um, but instead like being like, OK, like now the drama is justified because I'm like underground in a millions of years old thing and with an orchestra. So like now I'm allowed to cry about it, <laughs> you know. Yeah, for for a hole that's 120 feet below the ground, it's ended up being a weird kind of safe space. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and I can imagine, I mean, like, just like, you know, an actor kind of has to put themselves in their headspace when they're going to perform a scene. Like, you've literally built the epitome of, like, you know, getting into character, kind of pulling out all of these emotions from yourself so that you can, you know, give them fully to the record um, by, you know, recording in a cave 120 feet underground in, was it West Virginia that you recorded? Yes, West Virginia. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's interesting to to think, you know, like when you're kind of on the outside of of something like that it could be like okay that that's a lot but I like how like as we're talking and we're you know kind of going into it more and understanding like you know the purpose of doing it of needing to kind of draw those extremes out of yourself it makes a lot of sense and it it absolutely pays off thank you you're very yeah. welcome yeah, it gave me um it gave me really a lot of purpose and a lot to adhere to. Like my favorite I say everything. I key I always say that something is my favorite thing about the project, but there's a lot of favorite things. Um, but my favorite thing about the project is that uh you know, it gave really me and the people who were working closest on it like I don't it gave me like someone to become, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When I, when I first set out to do it, I couldn't do any of the things that I, that I needed to be able to do, to do it. I didn't know anything about caves. I didn't know anything about orchestral composition. Like 
vocally like I had only really ever just like screamed and made weird voices in my bands like I couldn't play piano um and I had never written music that was like the kind of music that I wanted to write and I still only had like a, a small band at the time like I wasn't working with strings um and it kind of was this whole thing where I was like I need to become this person and I need to be like 100% like dedicated to this idea and making this record was my entire identity for like the entire for all the years that I was working on it like I if you talk to anybody who knew me at the time like there was like I wouldn't do anything that wasn't in service of that if that makes sense it does um, yeah and I and it really changed like who I am as a person and like the way that I approach making things and um the way that I like my ability to like be really patient, like has grown, like the way that I am disciplined, like has changed a lot. Um, yeah, it's just different. I mean, before I started working on Madison, um, I was just a different, I was a different person and it was like a 24 hour shift. Like I, I was one person and then I thought of this idea and then I was another person forever. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sometimes, I mean, we definitely all need those things that drive us and that kind of create those pivotal changes. So, I mean, it sounds like it definitely gave you a lot of purpose and hopefully will point to more things giving you purpose in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess going back, kind of circling back to some stuff about like the more melodramatic side of it, because I mean, it's obviously you know, very at the heart of this record. First of all, I like that you said that, you know, when you love someone and they don't love you back, it doesn't make you feel crazy because, oh my God, yes, it does. Um, it generally, like, you don't like the idea of being consumed by the thought of another person, but it's there and you can't get rid of it. My friend just gave me, like, a passage from this book that she said reminded her of things that I say. And, like, so I actually only read this literally yesterday but it points to a lot of the feelings that made me make the record um there's this book a field guide to getting lost there's this passage about it um i guess like about distance and longing i'm gonna grab it because it's like actually right next to me we treat desire as a problem to be solved address what desire is for and focus on that something and how to acquire it rather than on the nature and sensation of desire, though often it is the distance between us and the object of desire that fills the space between with blue of longing. I sometimes wonder whether with a slight adjustment of perspective, it could be cherished as a sensation of it, a sensation on its own terms, since it's inherent to the human condition as blue is to distance. If you can look across the distance without wanting it close up, you can own your longing in the same way you you own the beauty of the blue that can never be possessed. For something of this longing, like the blue of distance, only be relocated, not assuaged by acquisition and arrival. I'm not gonna actually keep reading this because it's not useful to this because I can't read out loud. It's the idea that like wanting something is just as important, if not more important than having something. And that like, you know, I had these feelings for this person and at different points in my life, I think that I would have 
been like, okay, well, I like this person and they don't like me. So I need to like shut it down and move on. But it felt so important to me and it felt so transformative to me to like feel the care for this person. And I was like, you know what? Like, I just am going to live here in this feeling. And like, it's not necessarily a good feeling, but it is an important one. And I want to like, I don't think that desire has to be like, it's not just about getting what you want, you know? And that like, it can be like a journey of its own kind of within yourself to just let yourself want something. And I think that we live in a time that's really, really based in instant gratification. And so it can be hard to like, it can be hard to remember that wanting things is important and teaches you a lot about yourself. Like having something isn't the point. Yeah. And letting yourself completely live out those feelings, no matter how, I guess, like weird or ugly they can feel, you know, like because, I mean, a lot of this record, you know, it it can feel very, like, I mean, obviously metal, melodramatic. At times, it can feel very dark and lonely. But I think sometimes we just, again, have to let ourselves lean in and process those emotions. Both because, to your point, you know, we have to live through them and accept them as part of our lives. And also to to process them gradually. Well, yeah. And, I mean, look at what, like, you know, obviously, like... You don't see me on on Zoom right now, but you know I don't have uh, I don't have a wedding ring on my finger. I did not marry this person uh, at the end of making this, so you know that tells you something about how it all ended up or whatever. But like the thing is, is like like if I had, I guess whatever. God, how long ago? Four years ago now or something like been like, mm, you know what, I'm going to just shut these feelings down and walk, walk away from the situation because like, cause like if they wanted to, they would, you know, and like, who cares? Like, I'm going to move on. Um, you know, that would have been fine. And that's valid if people want to do that, but deciding that I was going to just follow through with caring about this person, like essentially gave me my whole life, you know, like, and, you know, it didn't end up that me and this person w- went away on like a happily ever after journey, but like, I, all of my like really important creative friendships, like came from making this record, like m- my like growth as a person, like my growth as an artist, like I've been on like millions of adventures. I've like met so many important people and like, you know, also then on top of it, having done all of this, like the way that it will now like guide and change my career moving forward. And like, all of that is just because I like decided to love someone instead of shutting it down. And like, I think that, I think you gain a lot more from letting yourself feel things than you do by like walking away from it. Absolutely. I, I've learned that through, through the magic of therapy. Um, (laughs) Very, very much, you know, it, it again you have to let yourself live life in full color even if it's the color blue um yeah speaking of which um i mean i know you said like you didn't read this book until much after but the color blue the image of a horse and specifically the blue horse are sort of a running theme through the record so what's the the symbolism behind that um so it's kind of a combination of a lot of things um 
And so I'll start with blue. So blue, I think everyone who's obsessed with blue, like feels the exact same way about it. <laughs> like you feel that it like belongs to you only and like has like sacred meaning in the world for you. Um, like there's that book Bluettes uh, by Maggie Nelson that is like also about somebody who's obsessed with blue. There's this thing I was just reading, you know, we've also got our boy Picasso with a blue period. Um, but I think that like, I think that blue, like to me, everything that is infinite is blue. And that, that when I, when I think about the color blue, I think about like massive depth. Um, and like, I like to, and like the, I guess the, the idea of forever and like things continuing and continuing and continuing, um, and so like, that's why it's present. And then like, also like, you know, it, it represents like sadness and stuff to people, which like, I think also, you know, has a hand in it existing in my work. But like, for me, it really is like the infinite quality. Um, and then horses, it's kind of a few things. Um, they came to have a lot of like symbolic meaning in my life. Um, the person who the record was written for, um, when we first met, we had like a very short romantic interaction. Um, we didn't live in the same place. Uh, and when I was going back home, <clears throat> they gave me a plastic horse to remember them by um and it kind of became like as things it was like my only evidence that this person had cared at all and so it was something that like throughout working on the record and like also like before working on the record and just being in like an emotional spiral like it was just something I would stare at and be like I'm not crazy it happens um and so that's part of it. Also, my collaborator, Mika, um, we had a running joke about patience uh, because at the time I felt very emotionally impatient. I don't feel that way anymore after years of working on this stuff. But at the time I was very emotionally impatient and we would talk about it and we would talk about longing um, and we would talk about and I made a joke where I was like, I can't hold my horses. They just keep running away from me. Um, mm. And we had this joke about horses running away from us and how I just cannot seem to hold them. And then for Christmas, she gave me this little box of tiny horses that she had painted blue. And there was nine <laughs> of them. And she was like, "There, these are your holding horses. Uh, and I actually did carry them with me in my pocket for years. And I gave them to people in like moments that I felt like I couldn't be patient anymore. Like if I was saying something really important to them, I would give them to them. And I do only have one left. Mm. Okay, well that so makes- it's So it's completely literal. I was gonna say, like <laughs> <laughs> it's like that makes, pr particularly the song Lullaby for Mika make a lot more sense. Yeah, because it's Lullaby for Mika. 
Um, oh, for Mika. Okay. But it says for Mika, like the, it's like, but it's very like, it's like an inside joke almost that song. Like it's 100, like, but it's funny because I, I like that people have interpretations though. Like I hear people talking about like it being like a representation of like childhood innocence or something. And I think that that's really great. And, uh, but for me, it is like, it is like almost entirely literal that like toy horses were just like really present in my life throughout the writing of the album. Mm-hmm. See, I kind of interpret it interpreted it very similarly to what you said this idea of not being able to hold on to something and you know like no matter how hard you try you just can't so it's in both it's very literal very very literal sense um and it's more like i guess not i guess yeah metaphorical sense you know it makes a lot of sense because there's like a lot of that recurring theme of you know as we all do as we're processing these types of emotions, like feeling like you're not enough and so therefore not able to hold on to something that you're supposed to care for and be responsible for. Um, you know, these kind of other images of dying alone, um, which is, you know, another very typical feeling that we have. I think the other reason that I heard uh formica and thought not formica was because i don't know what language that means ant in but i'm pretty sure it means ant in in some language and the image of ants you know particularly on a decaying body um (laughs) are also part of the album you know light breezy stuff but yeah yeah that was one of my cheerier lines in the (laughs) record for sure Um, oh god yeah, well, no one reads it as for Formica because it it is for like Formica is like um, it's like a fake, like it's like fake tile. Oh, okay. It's like a it's like a weird plastic, um, plastic like linoleum kind of thing. I think oh, maybe it's fake okay. wood. Maybe it's fake wood, but it's like plastic wood. Um, and that for like. Mm, later in the record there's like the in wilt there's the line like the plastic is real Mm. like another kind of it's like another like inside joke like among like this among my like whole crew of friends is like the idea that like one time I was like being interviewed by this old guy and like I was like I was on a real riff at the time about how much I like loved P.F. Chang's like that was like a big like you know, it's just, it's fine. Like, it just is okay. a riff. It's just a riff, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but like, loving strip malls and, like, loving, like, Olive Garden and, like, loving that kind of stuff, which, like, I do, like, I do have a real love for that kind of weird, fake stuff. Um, and, you know, the guy was just kind of, like, he was just kind of, like, n- not not coming with me on my journey of talking about this. Like, I don't know, like he was being a little bit antagonistic and he was just like, I hate all of that stuff. Like that stuff is just like, it's not real, it's plastic. And I was like, plastic is real, (laughs) you know? Um, And like, just kind of the idea that like, even if something is fake, it still is real too. Yeah. Um, And that is like, you know, that's true in like unrequited love where it's like, okay, this person doesn't love me, but I still love them. So it is still real. Um, 
you know <laughs> like yeah. it's not fake it's still a feeling it still exists it's still real like um it's just not you know we're just not in a relationship but it doesn't mean that it's not real mm-hmm See, I'd put that no a note about that line because I was trying to figure out what it was about, and that makes so much sense. And also, again, adds the sort of irony of the plastic horse as well, because it's like the plastic horse is also the only sort of real thing that's left and that's tangible from that experience, other than, of course, now a record, you know, but, you know, a whole other huge thing. But, I mean, you know, pre-record, that's kind of... That was, like, the one last piece. Now, I guess, I mean, we've really, like, despite our a gajillion tangents, which I think is so normal with this record because of how it kind of beautifully dips in and out and weaves through all these different things, but there's one last song I want to talk about because it's not so much an outlier, but it's the one that sort of... It's the one that does is least directly tied to the story and to me seems to be the most about just the feeling. And that is Judy's bedroom. Because <laughs> it's a side story. Um, it is a real crime story um, of a guy that killed his wife. Um, but again, what what was its sort of place in the record? Because again, it adds to that sort of feeling of like the macabre and again you know, a tragic love story in a sense, but it's the only one that doesn't sort of talk about you in any sense. Yeah. Um, you know, I almost, I almost can't explain. Um, there's a few things that song was written. There was multiple songs on the record that were written before I, before I met the person that inspired the record. Um, Wilt being one of them. Cause I wrote mm -hmm. that, you know, at the end of high school. Um, and, Judy's Bedroom being another one. I wrote that song in, uh, I wrote that song before I moved to New York. So I guess like 2016, 2017. Um, and I wrote it because it just kind of got stuck in my head. I was um, at my friend's house and I was doing something and she just had forensic files on in the, in the backgrounds of whatever we were doing. And in forensic files, they were, it was the case about Judy Bruce. Um, mm. And they just kept saying, like, he just kept saying Judy Bruce's bedroom. And I was like, that is so, like, it just, like, was a line that really stuck with, like, it had just such a good rhythm. Judy Bruce's bedroom. Yes. Um, And, like, the song just kind of happened. Like, I wrote it in, like, it was like by the time I left the house, like the entire song was like written in my head and it just was this jingle. Yeah, which was stuck in my head this morning, by the way. So funny you mention it. It's just like as I'm like, you know, rushing to get ready and like, you know, heating up my like blueberry muffins. I had like Judy is falling to pieces. Like just stuck completely in my head. Definitely. And it, it just like has that quality. Um, and I just kind of, it was never, it, it only ended up being on the record and kind of like the final inning, like it had existed for longer than most of the songs on the record, but I didn't see it as part of it. Um, but I write albums in this structure um, where I put everything up on a wall um, and kind of there's a there's an arc that I want out of a record. Um, 
And there's kind of like a rhythm of like the way that the songs are supposed to go in order to have people walk away with the right feeling. Mm -hmm. um, and part of that is uh, this feeling of, you know, having a single followed by, like first there's a song that introduces the themes of the record, which is the overture or in our old record, um, Willow, we had the song King Hazy Lady that um, it's kind of this weird song that like passes through all of these things really fast. It's like not an overture, but it is like a sample plate of what the record will sound like. Um, and then for that song to be followed by the single, um, which is like something that makes it accessible that like brings it to where it's like, okay, now we're all in the same place. Like this is a, a song that like, you know, people would like or something. Um, and then for that song to be followed by something more serious that unwinds into chaos. Um, and that is Jesus in your living room floor or kitchen store off of our old record. Um, and then for that to like, then from that dissonance to then have it be followed by something that immediately sounds familiar. Um, and that was something that was missing from Madison was something that was like a come down from unwinding into a bunch of dissonance and like where you're brought home and brought back to a place where you're like, okay, I'm immediately on board with this. Um, and Judy's bedroom kind of ended up on the record to hold that place. Um, and I think it does a good job of it um, where it, like it brings in like a new flavor and it brings in like the melody and the, yeah, I just think that it feels very familiar and it also has, um, it has what a lot of the songs on the record have, which is like, you know, ugly thoughts that are trying to be seen as beautiful via melody. Um, and being like, how how bright does this melody have to be to make what I am saying not horrible anymore? Um, and so I feel like it sonically fits in with the record really well in that way, even though it's like a little bit of like, the story is like not narratively uh, with the record, but I feel like it it still like aligns really well with the whole thing. I would agree. And it kind of, in its own full circle way, brings us back to the beginning of our conversation of sort of making um, a concept album accessible and not always just full of fluff that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And it doesn't, it just like, it, like to your point from earlier, like it doesn't need to tell a perfect, completely linear story. Like that isn't the point. I just want people to walk away feeling the right things. Um and then especially I think a lot about music in a live context also. And I thought that the rhythm of like, you know, this kind of uh, this conducted uh, dissonance being brought in and kind of overwhelming everything. And then and then it's just like me and a guitar and it's very minimal and like kind of becomes like a sing along situation that like people can zoom in on like felt important. Madison is available now wherever you normally get your music. 
This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lobricaro, and the artwork is by Meg Welford. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.